I, I am committed as a preacher to, to teaching the whole Bible. And so one thing you do as, as a preacher who teaches the whole Bible is you, you want to go um, systematically through it. And you, you want to be fair and even about all the ideas that are in God's word. But sometimes you get a doctrine or a truth that's so sweet that you don't feel worthy to preach it. Not that I feel worthy to preach the others, but... So I'm going to need some help to... Because uh, I want to get it out right. I want to do it justice. But let's give it a shot. So uh, three weeks ago, I was up here... And I talked about the doctrine of justification by faith. Wherein Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul basically says the same thing three times. And it's funny, my mom was here in the audience, and uh, she emails me afterwards, and she says, see, that's why mom repeats things over and over, right? Because Paul did it, it's effective, right? That really happened. This is the thing that Paul repeats three times. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says it again, and then he says it again. And we talked about just how important this doctrine is. And we've shared some some thoughts from people that we trust uh, about this doctrine. Martin Luther said that the church rises or falls based on this doctrine. John Calvin said that this teaching is the the very hinge upon which the whole gospel turns. And Antarong said, oh, snap, this is really important. You guys remember that one? Okay. Uh, Justification by faith, it's a big deal. Can we all agree? It's it's a big deal. Can you nod your heads, even if you have no idea what I'm talking about? Yes, it's a big deal. Okay. But here's the thing. Today, we're actually not going to talk about that. That was all set up to say that the thing we're talking about today is even better, if you can believe that. Um, Let me tell you what I mean. Um, Here's a quote from a reputable source. This is from J.I. Packer, I, I think a scholar who is universally respected. He says this, blank is the highest privilege that the gospel offers even higher than justification. That justification by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past together with his acceptance for the future is the primary blessing of the gospel, is not in question. But this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Blank is higher because of the dot, dot, dot. Now, I, I, just, I just want you to think about this for a moment. J.I. Packer said something that you probably weren't expecting him to say, given what Martin Luther just said, which is the church rises and falls based upon justification and based on put, uh, what John Calvin said, that this teaching on justification is the hinge, you know, and on strong and oh snap, and you would just not expect Packer to say something like this. And here is Packer going, justification is the primary blessing of the gospel. It's God forgiving us and accepting us because of what Jesus did on the cross. Yes, but there is a truth that's higher. And so you're going, what could possibly be higher, sweeter, better than being forgiven and accepted by God? 
And the answer is adoption. Adoption. Now, let me finish the quote from Packer. Packer said, based on this teaching right here, blank is higher than justification. Adoption is higher than justification because, because of the richer relationship with God that it offers. Adoption is actually higher. Now, in justification, the picture is legal. We stand before a judge who makes a pronouncement over us. But adoption is different. It's the same judge who pronounces that we're not guilty because of Jesus on the cross. But then he like jumps over the bench and goes to where you are, uh, uh, unshackles your, your handcuffs and says, come home with me and be my son. It's different. It's different. Adoption is not just God making us innocent, but making us his children that he's crazy about. And that's why it's sweeter. That's why it's higher. I have a bit of a confession to make. When I first became a Christian, it wasn't because I knew that I was a sinner. That didn't come until I had kids. Um, I thought I was okay. But the reason I became a Christian is because I met certain people and they had something that I didn't have. And the more I hung out with them, I'm, I, you know, I, and you hear them, and then suddenly it occurred to me what they have that I don't have is the very thing that I've been looking for all my life. What they have is this love relationship with God. And I've been looking for something all my life, well, all 14 years, and when I saw what they had, I'm like, that's it, that's it, I, that's what I want. I wanted that love relationship with God. That's why I became a Christian. And um, here's the thing that the person who prayed for me when I first became a Christian, this person said to me, uh, I believe God has chosen you. And I was floored. I was like, why? And he said, it's because, I think it's because your dad died. And God wants to be your dad. And I was, it, was it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I think um, at that moment, I knew that what I have found in God wasn't just good. It was everything. It was everything. And so what we're talking about today is uh, pretty precious. Precious to me and just precious in general. Okay, so... Um, now, when we're talking about the doctrine of adoption, you can go to various places, but did you know that the book that we're actually going through, it, there is a great place that talks about adoption, and Mark Fong is going to read it for us. Mark was asking me, when's my cue to get up? And I was like, I'll make it really clear to you. And uh, <laughs> Okay. So, if you have a Bible, please turn to Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 4. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Uh, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. So for our time together this morning, I want to unpack the doctrine, the truth of God's adoption over you in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Now, after careful study of the text, I've chosen three words that really sort of come from the text. So if you're ever wondering what does the doctrine of God's adoption over you mean, I'm hoping that you're going to remember these three words, but remember they come really from this passage uh, particularly from Galatians 4 through 7, and really with special focus in verses uh, 6 and 7. I want to make a couple observations in verses 4 and 5, and then we're going to get to those three words, all right? So um, uh, we're going to really focus 4 through 7, so here it goes. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions, adoption as sons. All right, two observations really quick. There are two words in this verse that show, show me the course and the direction of human history. Now, you need to understand that I'm, I'm a leader of sorts, so I sit in a lot of meetings. And whenever I sit in a meeting, because I don't have much time, I'm always asking the question, what's the point of this meeting? What are we trying to accomplish, right? What's the purpose? And sometimes when I'm not the leader, my goal is just to have the leader clarify what's the purpose. Where are we driving? What's, what's the goal, right? And so when I read a verse like this, I'm looking for purpose phrases. And right here is a pretty big one. And it's two words. And it shows direction and course and purpose. Those two words are so that. All right? Now, we're going to get back to this later. <laughs> but I just wanted to load it up. And my observation is this text has the words so that, which are words of purpose and direction. Here's another observation I would like to make and explain. What are the words that come after adoption? So that we might receive adoption as Sons. Okay. Now, when you hear that as sons, some people feel like, whoa, this is being kind of exclusive, you know. It's not exclusive. Actually, after this, I'm probably not going to refer to sons. I'm going to go sons and daughters. But I just want to explain it's actually not exclusive. In fact, it's radically inclusive. You see, in that day, daughters would not get any of the inheritance. The sons would. So here is Paul saying, it doesn't matter what gender you are. If you're a man, if you're a woman, it doesn't matter what race you are. If you're in Christ, you will get all the benefits that a son would get. Okay? So if I say sonship, don't think this doesn't include me. It actually is radically inclusive. Verse 6. All right. Three words to describe adoption. We're going to start to get to it here now in verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. All right, the first 
word that I would choose to explain adoption would be the word access. Let me hear you guys say access. Let me hear you guys say a little more loudly, access. Okay. Uh, I want you to look at the word cry. The, the word cry here comes from the Greek word, which is karsden. It's a strong word. It means loud, rendering cry, deep, profound, passionate feeling. Okay, so whatever comes after this word is from the bowels, right? Now, what's the word that comes after? We cry what? Abba. Okay, now, I, I want you to look at that word Abba. Uh, maybe you've heard some history on that word. It's a very powerful word. Um, Abba is the equivalent, like in Chinese, it would be Baba, right? And uh, if you were French, it would be Papa, right? And in, uh, in, in America, it would be old man, right? It would be Dada, you know, it would be Dada, Dada. To, to this day, Raina and I have an argument as to what Ryan's first words were. She claims it was Mama, but I swear it sounded like Dada. There was a da 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 So to this day, you know, I don't know, I don't know. We're still in debate. But um, it's the very first, and so clearly these are words of intimacy. These are words of intimacy. Maybe you've heard this before. Bah, but did you hear this before? Why, oh, by the way, Abba, what language is that in? Aramaic. But in this letter is written in what language? Greek. So here you have a Greek letter, but there's one word in Aramaic. Why is that? Why, why didn't... Paul converted to the Greek form of Abba. I don't know what that is, but I know it's not Abba, right? Why is that? Well, because that's the language that Jesus used. Oh, okay. Well, why is he using the language that Jesus used? This is amazing. I want you to think about this. In, in, in Paul actually reclaiming the words that Jesus would use when he would address his father, Paul is basically saying you have the same positional access to God that Jesus does. I don't know if you know that. Do you know that? You have, so that means that you can approach God as if you were as beautiful, as heroic, as righteous, and as loved as Jesus himself. That is shocking. And it's right here. It's right here. Imagine Paul going, like, do you, do you understand the access that you have to God? Do you, do you have any idea? Uh, let me put it this way. Let me put it another way. Uh, you know who our student director is, right? He was up here. He was giving announcements, very charming guy. He gave me some free shoes. Love that guy. I, I introduced him once as the Vietnamese Jack Bauer. I don't know if you remember that, but I think that's a pretty good description of who he is. Um, it is impossible for a human being to be omnipresent, right? Obviously, it can't be all places at the same time. But the closest thing without being it would be on Truong. Would you agree with me? Would you agree with me? You go on Facebook and he's like, how can he be five places in the space of one hour? He went to this party, this event, this graduation. You know, how is that possible, right? You guys give me an amen on that one? Okay, he's not only present. I want to be sacrilegious, but if there is the closest thing without being it, okay. 
Now, Aaron loves to go out of his way to care for people that he loves, whether it's giving them a, actually, I can do a little survey. How many of you ever received a boba from Aaron or a love note of some kind? Anyone with free shoes? Oh, I'm the only one. He loves me. Um, he will go out of his way to just be there for people, go to games of theirs or graduation cer- ceremonies. Um, he loves that. It's his thing. But he was telling me this. Um, and maybe he was telling me, and we can relate, because I used to be a youth pastor myself. There is this one person in his care. Uh, you, one person in the ministry who is sort of engages on in every capacity of caring. And we'll just put it like that, you know, and always asking him for stuff, always seeming to want more. You know, on, can you come to this event of mine? Can you come to this thing? And one time, even calling him in the middle of the night, like at 2 p.m., right? I got, I got, I got these problems. And I'm, I'm talking on, like, on, this is like, it's almost like this person is taking advantage of you, right? But here's the thing, on just, on just loves to love this person. Now, I don't normally do this. It's not a breaking confidentiality, but I'm going to call this person out, okay? Because this person is it, part of our, our church, actually. And I don't know if this person is here, but um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this person out because it's about, about time we just call this person out, okay? You guys ready? All right. The person is, Raina's Ray, looking at me like, no, don't do it. <laughs> this person is uh, Doug. Ah, oh, okay, all right, oh, okay. Who do you think would have the audacity to wake up on at 2 a.m., ask, Daddy, will you give me a glass of water? A daughter would. Why? No one else has that right, but a daughter has that right. A son has access. Do you understand that you have the same access to God that Karis has to on? To ask him for anything at any time and feel like I have a direct call connection and he will respond. Do you know that you have the same access to God that Jesus does? Have you thought about that? Are you leveraging that? Does that give you constant joy? Did you forget the kind of access that you have to God? You can wake up tomorrow morning and you can say, Abba, Father, I would love to spend the whole day with you. And you, you better believe it. He will take you up on that invitation. And then when you're going through the day, the moment you run into trouble, you can just turn and just say, Abba, Father, help me. And you better believe it. He listens to every cry for help. And if there's a moment of joy or wonder or excitement, you can just turn to him in prayer and say, wow, Abba, Father. And he is totally there. You have that access to God. In my, in my family... I am normally the one who drives the kids to school. And one time I'm driving the kids to school. We got all, you know, they're in the back row and I'm talking to the boys about something that really matters to them. I think it was video games. And so we're just talking about this and about that. And then all of a sudden, 
in the middle of this car ride, I hear this, mm, mama. And I was weird, like, because we're talking about video games. You know, like, what is this? And so I say, hey, boys, did you guys hear something? Mm, mama. It was Noelle. Noelle just sitting there. She's not interested in all this conversation about video games. She just wants to be with her mom. You guys ever do that? I mean, not that, mm, but, but do you guys ever, you guys ever do that through the day? Just like, oh, Abba, Father, I, I want you. I just want you. I want to be with you. You ever do that? Do you understand that's your place? That's who you are? That's why Jesus died to enable that love relationship. You were made for that. Do you, do you know that? Do you live there? Do you love being there? Maybe you know why this message is so, um, it, it's somewhere deep within me. Uh, verse 7, the first word is access. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. Okay, I'm going to say that again. You are no longer a slave, but a son. I don't know. Maybe for some people, those are the words you need to hear today. You are not this thing. You are this thing. Uh, let's get it very, very clear. You are not a slave, but you are a son. Now, this kind of language, it's comparison language. You know, Paul is doing some, some comparing and contrasting. You are not this. You are this. You are not a slave. You are a son. Now, when um, Paul is doing some contrasting, uh, there is a message in the contrasting. Now, let me ask you, if, if you guys have been keeping up with us and you've been reading the first three chapters of Galatians, and this, there's this prominent theme of slavery versus being a son. Now, let me ask you, if you take that whole argument, what's the number one um, distinguishing characteristic between a slave and a son. What's the number one difference? Well, I would say this, like if you really uh, take the weight of the argument in Galatians, the number one dis distinguishing factor between slave and son is that a slave has worth, but it must be earned. A slave has worth by their performance but a son has worth just by who they are and their position. Are you with me? A slave is valuable because of what they do. A son is valuable just because of who they are. A slave is valuable because of how they perform. A son is valuable just by position. The ancient Jews didn't really have a strong category for adoption, so that's why you have stories where the patriarchs were taking on concubines and trying to bear biological sons. They didn't have a very strong value for adoption. For Greeks, ancient Greeks, you could adopt a kid. But up until the age when they turn 18, you can return the child if you don't like the child, right? So just imagine being one of those kids and like, oh, you're actually thinking like a slave because your worth is valued on your performance and if dad doesn't like me, he's going to take me back to the, you know, to, uh, to the agency. But the Romans, ooh, those Romans, they got one thing right. 
they got adoption right. In a Roman family, when you were adopted, you were adopted for keeps. It was a permanent position in the family. You were a son, period. So the second word when we talk about adoption is unconditional. It was for keeps. Unconditional. Uh, I know for many of us here, there might be a lingering insecurity in your relationship with God. And uh, maybe it has to do with your biological father. I know for me, I can count on, um, I can count on, on the, the fingers of two hands the number of times that my father showed affection for me. The truth is, I, this sounds really bad, I can count on two fingers the number of times that my father showed affection for me. One of those times, I was totally, completely surprised and I was scared to death that at the next moment, if I did something wrong, all that love and affection would be taken away. I was scared to death. I imagine that for some of us here, expression and I love yous and I'm proud of yous were only given when you achieved something. You made the honor roll. You got the 4.0. And so you grew up with this lingering sort of feeling that a father's love is conditional. And here is God saying, it's not. Here is God saying to us, my love for you is unconditional. It's not based on your performance. It's because you're my son. So the second word to describe adoption is unconditional. What was the first word again? And again, the second word was Okay, now we're ready for the third word. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an a what? You guys, you guys are supposed to do a little call and response here. Come on. Come on, people. And if a son, then an, an heir through God. If you're a son, this is Paul like thinking this logically. If you are a son, then you are an heir. And if you are an heir, then you get a Inheritance, okay? So the next word that describes adoption, access, unconditional love, third word is inheritance. Uh, Christian inheritance is a little bit different from how we think of inheritance. I think when we think of inheritance, we kind of think of like someone we love dies and goes away, and then I get stuff, right? So we tend not to think about inheritance too much or, or be happy about it too much because it's very bittersweet, and it's more bitter than sweet, right? Uh, Christian inheritance is very, very different. It's not that you get a bunch of stuff when a person dies and goes away, but you get a bunch of stuff when the person remains being alive and actually comes to you. And a lot of the reward and the joy and the glory is wrapped up in the person and the relationship himself, so it's going to get even sweeter. There's no bitter to the sweet. It's just sweet upon sweet. It's sweet, sweet. I made that up. It's sweet, sweet. Christian inheritance is sweet. Um, t- let, me, let me try to illustrate it. Twelve, Twelve years ago, my mom sent me a card for my birthday. And I was, I was so touched by the card that I, I've kept it to this day. I still have it. It's been 12 years. I, I mentioned in the beginning of my message that my, my father died when I was 11 years old. And my mom, she did the best she could to raise my brother and I. 
And I always remember her coming back home from work. My brother and I would be like watching MTV. And she would be busy in the kitchen. And my mom was the kind of woman, she couldn't just cook one dish. She was like cooking five dishes, you know, like every night, right? And she wasn't like, you know, like the, I love you, I love you kind of type. But every night she's like five dishes. That's how I'm saying I love you. I love you kids, right? Now, on my 29th birthday, my mom sends me this card. I'm going to read it to you in a second. But I just want you to keep in mind that my mother doesn't have perfect command of the English language. You've seen me up here making fun of her on rare occasion. Very rarely, like once every 10 years. Some of you have told me, you shouldn't make fun of your mom. I know, I know, I'm working on that. Uh, English is her third language. Chinese is her first. Uh, her second is inappropriate jokes. Oh, I just made fun of her again. Because um, my mom's not Shakespeare, okay? So, but here's the, 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 the note. Oh, look, look at that. It's, it's Pastelli, it's Monet, it's lovely. And my mom writes me this on my 29th birthday. She goes, son, I love you. Happy birthday. If I can give you anything, I would. Happy birthday, 29th. Mom Joanne. And look, she, the, the dollar that she attached to it is still there. Look at that. <laughs> look at that. Isn't that great? The dollar is still there. Oh, Mom. Now, my mom, in her limited vocabulary, was somehow able to express the very heart of God. She just nailed it. And that's why this, uh, this card is so precious to me. If I can give you anything, anything that would be good for you, I would do it. In other words, everything that I have is yours. Like, the, my mom somehow expressed a father's heart for his kids. Everything I have, everything I have is yours. You don't understand how much I love you. And just imagine how rich God is. And he's saying, look, I got everything and I'm using all those things. Everything is for you. It, it, these are the words of the prodigal father in Luke 15. Remember when he's appealing to his second son or first son? He goes, look, son, everything that I have is yours. Do you understand my heart? It's so for you. If I have anything that's good for you, it's yours. It's yours. That's a father's heart. Everything I have is yours. And so you can walk around with your head held high because your father owns the place. He owns everything. You have an internal family. You have an internal home. You have an internal father. There's nothing that you will lack if you have Christ and if you have God as your father. So when we think of God adopting us, <clears throat> we think again, what was the first word? Help me out here, guys. Shout it out. Access. Second word is, and the third word is, okay, now, now I'm going to ask the question, what are we supposed to do? And uh, I, I think now would be a good time to go back to verse 5 and remember those very key seminal words, so that. All right. <clears throat> 
When you have a so that, it means that whatever is written before the so that is called the event, and whatever is written after the so that is called the purpose of the event. Okay, what's the event? The event is Jesus coming. The event is Jesus dying. The event is Jesus redeeming his people. That's a pretty big event. Now, what's the purpose of all that? And the goal of all this is so that we might receive adoption as sons. That is the goal of human history. That is why Jesus died on the cross. That is the goal of your life. That is what your life is all about. I need a volunteer. Can I, can I get someone to volunteer for a second? Oh, actually, Sarah, can you come up here? You're so great up here. Isn't she great up here, guys? Can we give her a round of appreciation? She's really awesome. <clears throat> okay, Sarah, thank you for volunteering. Thank you for <laughs> emceeing. Actually, if you can stand right here so that everyone can see you. Okay, um... <clears throat> You know, my, I don't know if you all have met my brother. My brother's a really funny guy. And I, when I told my brother that I was getting married, you know what he made me? He made me a ball and chain. And he used it during my bachelor's party. He's a funny guy. You would love to meet him. Um, and so, Sarah, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to chain you with this, okay? okay. <laughs> there we go. Now, this is what I want you to do. I just want you to parade this around. Just walk to the center aisle and back, but I want you to pretend that this is actually made of iron, okay? It's super, super heavy, all right? Yeah, yeah, just bring all your, you know, yeah, yes, yes, just like that, just like that, okay. Yeah, that's good, that's good. She's doing the limps, she's dragging. You're laughing, though. I want to see some pain. Can I see some pain here? I want to feel the pain, okay? I want them to see you and feel the anguish. Like, ah, I want to just break this off. Can someone break this off of me? Now you can come back, okay? Now you can come back. That's good. Now come back. Okay. Now, um, I, I, the, the, this ball and chain, um, regardless of what I said it might represent, this ball and chain represents uh, sin, right? The result of sin. So... With sin and the wages of sin, there is death, there is condemnation, there's guilt, and ultimately, there's hell, all right? This is a pretty hefty weight to drug around. Now, when you go to churches and you ask Christians, like, what's the number one reason you should become a Christian? Normally, in our thinking, it's like because Jesus breaks off the chain, and he does that when he dies on the cross. So he breaks off the chain, and he, un oh, <laughs> he unshackles us, okay? But keep in mind, Jesus had to do that, okay? Um, and so, so normally at this point, we go, that's why we should be a Christian, to break off the ball and chain, and we're free, right? And like, woohoo, right? And so here we stand, right? And we just, it's great, and we're just still standing, and I don't know, sometimes we get bored. Sometimes there's busyness and distraction. Sometimes we actually go and look for another ball and chain, that's the truth. 
And here's the Christian word for us. The word for us today is, why would you stop there? You're, why would you stop there when there's that so that? Why did Jesus come? Well, he came to rip off the, the ball and chain for sure, for sure, for sure. That's the primary. But the highest blessing is to wear one of these. Let me hear you guys go, ooh. Okay, what is this? This is, a, this is the white robe of sonship and daughtership, okay? I don't know if that's a word, but it should be a word. Uh, and when you wear this robe, you are basically wearing the very same robe that Jesus wears, right? It's the access to God. It's the intimacy. It's the unconditional love. It's like, man, I love, I love this relationship that I have with God. I love this access that I have with God. This is amazing. I'm an, I'm an heir. All that is his is mine. This is, woohoo! right? Why would you just rip off the ball and chain and not wear the robe? When the whole course of history, the reason that he came and died is so that you would wear the robe of sonship and daughtership. And you would know that. Why would you not wear it every day? Where are you today? You're like, I feel more like a slave than a son. Well, God, Jesus died so that you can enjoy being a son and a daughter and have all the access, all the unconditional love to, be in, 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 to, to have your inheritance. And so we are called not just to let the Lord rip off our chains, but to be clothed in the very same robe that Jesus wears. And that means you are as heroic and as beautiful and as amazing and radiant as Jesus, and you have the same access as a son and as a daughter um, that Jesus has. <laughs> you, can you wear this for the rest of the service? <laughs> no, really, can you do that just as a symbol? Yeah, I do, I do, I do. Okay, can we give a, a, a huge uh, uh, applause for Sarah? Thank you so much. Gosh, thank you. No, I really want you to wear that. Can you wear that? Thank you, thank you. Okay. <laughs> we love having college students here. You know? um, I, I want to wrap up with a, a very practical word of application. Um, it's going to be really short because we don't have much time, but, but here it goes. Okay, you're like, okay, what's one thing I can do? Okay, I, I want to do that. If Jesus died for that, and it's, 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 it's amazing, why would I not want that? You know, that's the best part. Why would, I, why, would I, why would I not want to go all the way and uh, celebrate that, right? So, so here's one thing you can do, okay? At 2 o'clock every day for two minutes, you can pray the prayer from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Now, if there's a prayer in the Bible that really gets at the very heart of knowing God's love for you as a son and as a daughter. Oh, man, Ephesians 3.16 just is so powerful. You know, here is Paul just praying with all his guts, all his faith. I'm so convinced that if you prayed this prayer every day, just for two minutes, it would bring you so much focus in life. 
And I'll just give you an example. Ten days ago, I was overwhelmed and I was distracted and I was really, I was anxious about some things. And then two o'clock hit and, and my iPhone goes, ah, 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 which is not the most peaceful, you know, sound to pray. But for me at two o'clock, that sound means let's pray Ephesians 3.16. And so I just started praying this for the church and for myself, just praying that we would know how deep and how high and how wide the love of God is. And then suddenly, it just like the clouds broke, and it was like, that's it. That's it. That's what my life is all about. That's why I'm in ministry. That's why I'm alive. That's what I want for my family, and that's what I want for my church. That is it. That's it. It is such a powerful focusing prayer. Like, I'm not going to just, I don't want the Lord just to rip off the chains, but I want to I wear the white robe of being a son and a daughter and just really enjoy him as my father. So Ephesians 3, 16 is such a powerful prayer to, to get there. Just to pray that two minutes uh, a day as a reminder, as a focus, and really just as a prayer. And you, do, you can pray for yourself. You can pray for your kids if you have kids. You can pray for your parents if, you have, uh, if your parents are, are still around. You can pray it for your loved ones. You can, if you're in school, you can pray it for your classmates. If you're in work, you can pray for them. You can, just, you can just pray it for yourself and then pray it for all those around you. But I don't know if there's a better way. Than, so right now, I thought a gift to you would be to give you 30 seconds. And if you want to, it's totally up to you to go to your smartphone and then just right now, 2 p.m., um, and just go uh, every day, every day, every day, 2 p.m. I'm going to pray that prayer for two minutes. It's going to focus my life. It's going to take God for you to know God's love. So you're like, well, what's my role? Well, you can ask him. And Ephesians 3.16 is a powerful prayer. All right. I, I wanted to, I was kind of inspired by Eddie Passmore's uh, just response time last last week. I want to do a little bit of response time right now. Um, and so maybe we can have everyone just kind of close their eyes. So really it's not, uh, it's not for anyone else. But if you kind of feel like, you know, I feel more like a servant or a slave. I feel more like that than I do like a son or a daughter. And I'm just going to ask you to stand up. I'm just going to pray for you. It's it just like that, you know. So if you want to stand up, you can go ahead and stand up now. I'm going to pray for you in a moment. Uh, if you feel like my love relationship with God, it's not where I would like it to be. I really would like God to do something in my relationship with him, you know. And I'm just going to go ahead and ask you to stand up as well. Now, I think it's going to take courage to stand up because you're kind of admitting that there's something lacking in your life. But I think there's a lot of courage to be able to say, I don't want to settle for anything less than the very best thing that God died for me to give me. So, okay, I'm just going to pray for you right now. And guess what prayer I'm going to pray? I'm going to pray Ephesians 3, 16. I've been praying this for you every day. And uh, so just receive this prayer. Uh, Father, I pray out of your glorious riches because we have a Father who's so rich, so rich. 
that you would strengthen all my brothers and all my sisters who are standing up right now. You would strengthen them with power through your Holy Spirit so that Jesus may dwell in their hearts through faith and that they being rooted and established in love may receive power to know how deep and how high and how wide and how long is the love of God and to have their minds and their hearts just blown away by your love. Do it, Lord. Our lives are so short. We want to be rooted in you, but then we also want to know your love more and more radically, more and more deeply, more and more profoundly. We want to experience it through the power of your Holy Spirit. You die, Jesus, to make us sons and daughters. And so would you reveal your amazing love for us that all of our lives would orient around your grace, your love, and your Father.